Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Reading from Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice." He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. And thus says God, the Lord, the one who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. And he says, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, and that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass. And new things, new things, I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Genesis. It's really fun to be here this morning. Um, Thank you, Mitch, for reading. It's a hard act to follow. Um, also want to thank Steve for the introduction. Um, I would just add to that. I'm here today with my husband, Charlie, my kids, Abby and CJ, um, who are awesome in supporting me, um, not only in being here this morning, but in living in New York most of the time right now and what that means for the sacrifices they're making. Um, also, I will add that I got a cool new tattoo this week which means that you all know more about me than 90% of my friends and family until they hear the podcast. Um, I'd like to pray before we get started. God, as we enter this season of Epiphany, I pray that you would open our eyes. This morning I ask that above all else we would hear your voice 
so that we could know your heart. Amen. So I want to spend a little time exploring the servant that's mentioned in the text. So Isaiah 42 um, is one of the servant songs in Isaiah. There's several of them. Um, And basically, they're poems that refer to a servant of Adonai. And I want to start by looking at what do we know about this servant? What does the servant do? What is their character like? Um, Just kind of, we're going to talk about who they are in a minute, but I want to start with what they're like. Um, So I'm going to ask for your help with this. This is open book, so feel free to grab your text and... Just shout out, like, what do you see in the text that talks, tells you about what the servant does, who they are, anything about them? They're gentle. Yes, you said that. Thank you. They're gentle not only, and they're not, like, screaming, but they're also gentle with fragile things, right? They bring forth justice. I think it even says that a couple times. So, like, that's a big one. They're bringing forth justice. What else? Chosen by God. Yep. Yep. God delights in them and God chose them. What else? The Spirit of God is upon them. Yep. Anything else? Later in the text, it talks about how they open the eyes that are blind and they set people free from darkness and from the, the prisons that they're in. So we get a pretty clear picture about what this person is like or this servant is like. Um, but then who is the servant? The best answer to this question is we don't know. Um, and the more I study the Bible, the more I think that's probably the best answer. Um, there are two primary schools of thought. One is that the servant is an individual. So the Jewish interpretation, which is the perspective from which it was written, the individual would be thought of as perhaps a future prophet or a king. Um, From the Christian interpretation, this is viewed as a messianic prophecy. So the the individual would be Jesus. There's a lot of uh, something happening. I don't know the technical term. And then there's the possibility that this is referring to the community. So this is actually the more common Jewish interpretation, is that the servant that's being talked about here is the chosen community or the chosen people of Israel. Um, So Christians can also look at it in that way. Christians um, often look at God's word to the people of Israel as God's word to us can be problematic, but we do it a lot anyway. Um, The way I look at it is that it talks about how the Spirit of God is upon this servant. Just as the Spirit of God comes on Jesus at his baptism, um, which is actually the day celebrated in the church today, also as the Spirit of God comes upon the disciples and the early church in Acts 2. The disciples in the early church were given authority by Jesus to do the things of God, to live in the way that Jesus lived and to act in that manner. Um, So even if you would like to reject the Jewish interpretation that the servant is community, 
I think we can make a connection that if this is how Jesus was to live and act, it's how we should also live and act. Since this text is often looked at from the perspective of the servant as an individual, I want to spend a little time this morning looking at it as the servant being the community, the worshiping community of God. And for us, that's the church. So I'm going to reread Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. And 1 through 4 is actually what's considered the servant song of this text. And where it says servant, I'm going to say church. And where it says he, him, I'm going to say she, her. Um, Partly to help you hear the difference. Also, she, hers don't show up enough in church. And the church is looked at as bride of Christ. Here is my church, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon her. She will bring forth justice to the nations. She will not cry or lift up her voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed she will not break, and a dimly burning wick she will not quench. She will faithfully bring forth justice. She will not grow faint or be crushed until she has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for her teaching. Is this true of the church today? And when I say church, just to be clear, I'm not talking about Genesis or any church in particular. I'm talking about the whole of the church in the United States. And I think if we're honest, we have to say no. Are there exceptions? Absolutely. Are there churches that work for justice? Yes. Are there churches that are full of the Spirit of God? Yes. Are there churches that are gentle with people who are struggling with their faith? Yes. But as a whole, the church in the United States is floundering. Pew Research says that all Christian denominations are on the decline, Other faiths are slightly increasing, but there's been a huge jump in people who consider themselves unaffiliated religiously. Why? Because the church isn't being the church. The church should be a place of transformation and of liberation, a place that helps people see and to live into the fullness of who they are, and a place that sets people free. Instead, the very opposite is often true. I have yet to come across a church whose mission statement clearly says, we exist to keep people from growing or changing, and our goal is to keep them confined and oppressed through our theology, our teaching, and our practices. But I have seen churches who act like that. Often what is stated doesn't match what is practiced. How many bruised reeds has the church broken? How many dimly burning wicks has the church snuffed out? How has the church in the United States been complicit in and often perpetuated racism, sexism, nationalism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, xenophobia, homophobia, all the phobias? The way I see it, the church as an institution has defiled the love of God in the name of God. Rick Euford Chase, who's the director of Presbyterian Peace Fellowship, says it this way. Being a Christian in the US today 
means professing a gospel of liberation for people who are oppressed, while simultaneously being co-opted by a project of empire as great as any the world has ever known. Put another way, we are people who long to be faithful, even as we are beholding to dominant cultural values that are antithetical to the most fundamental principles of our sacred text. We profess the gospel, and we long to be faithful. But the church has largely taken on the culture of fear and intolerance. We've put money above people and the love of power above the love of God. So what now? The church as it stands is so far gone, we can't just keep trying on new clothes to get a new look. Is it vestments and suits or hoodies and flannels or fog machines and drum kits or choirs and organs or free coffee or great kids programming or it's too late for all that. If the church is going to survive, and I hope it does in some form, it needs a complete overhaul. And that overhaul has to begin with the church as an institution being brutally honest. We have to acknowledge, confess, and lament for the harm that we've done and the damage that we've done and that we continue to do in the name of God. As an institution, the church needs to repent. And we need to grieve. We have to grieve for the sake of those that the church has hurt. And we have to grieve that the church isn't what it could be or what it should be. I'm not going to ask anyone to elaborate here, but if you'd be willing to raise your hand if you've experienced grief in your life. I'm sorry. And every person who raised their hand knows what I'm about to say is true, that grief brings perspective. When you are grieving, you have laser-like clarity about what really matters and what doesn't matter one single bit. And that's another important factor in the necessary grieving of the church. We as a church need to sit in grief because we need the clarity that grief brings. As an institution, we have to clearly see what matters and we have to let the rest go. Now, if you agree with me up until now, you might be thinking, all right, the church needs to grieve and repent. It needs a complete overhaul. It's a big mess. I get it. But what, do, you know, I know how systems work and how institutions work, and nothing's going to change overnight, so what do I do now? Maybe you've considered leaving the church because it's such a big old mess. I get that. I've done that. And speaking from personal experience, I don't recommend it. And there's several reasons for it, but one of them is, if you want to make change, you're going to need a group of people to do it with you. Even the best churches are messed up. They always have been, they always will be, even if the church as a system gets it kind of right at some point. But a church that's willing to change a church that's willing to have hard conversations, a church that's willing to do the work of repentance and lament. 
These are the kind of communities that will help us find a better way forward. And it is also true that none of this will happen overnight. So if you're not going to leave, what are you going to do? Most of you are probably familiar with the Great Commission. And at some point along the way, at least in my upbringing, it kind of came to be like, the Great Commission is to go out and get everyone everywhere to believe exactly what you believe. Right? That's kind of the gist. That's not actually what Jesus said. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus said to the disciples who he had been discipling, go do this. I want more people like you. That's actually the command. So in an era when the church is failing and a radical shift is needed at the institutional level, what can you do? I think one of the keys is to be more like the disciples of Jesus. And although you first say that, it sounds kind of spiritual. Um, the disciples were far from the, the saints that you find in cathedrals. I spent some time in the Gospels noting kind of how they acted, what they were up to, how they interacted with Jesus. And the list that I'm going to read through is certainly not all-encompassing. Um, if you come to a point where you're like, I think I'd like to open the Bible and read something, but you don't know what or where, spend some time in the Gospels just noticing how the disciples are acting, the conversations they're having. See how that compares with what you know of the church. But here's what I came away with, and there's several similarities actually between this list and the list we started with about the servant. The Spirit of God was upon the disciples. Just like the Spirit of God came upon Jesus at his baptism, like the Spirit of God came upon the church in Acts 2, like the Spirit of God is on the servant in Isaiah 42. The disciples made sacrifices, and they gave up what was comfortable. The disciples were given authority by God to heal sick, to bring sight to the blind, and to free people from oppression. The disciples were cared for by God, and Jesus called them family. The disciples were a community. They didn't always agree, and they didn't always get along. The disciples were human, meaning they made mistakes along the way. The disciples didn't have very many answers, but they asked a whole lot of questions. How much does that sound like the church? The disciples were absolutely honest with Jesus. Sometimes they said things that just make you want to like, but they were honest. The disciples followed the way of Jesus, even when it didn't fit the current religious model, and even when it was wildly unpopular to do so. May we find ways to be more like the disciples, and may we find the courage to move the church forward in the fullness of the divine and in the spirit of love. Endings are
Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.